Hey everybody, welcome to Rust Belt Startup. I'm your host, Ryan Miller. And Rust Belt Startup is a podcast. If you couldn't tell, it's a podcast that is full of long-form conversations with entrepreneurs, educators, artists, people that are living unconventional lives in unconventional locations. Glad you're here. So uh, getting back into these, these, these deep dive conversations, and, uh, and today on the show is a, a gentleman by the name of Tim Jeruso. And Tim is the CEO of a very interesting company called Human Technologies. Uh, full disclosure before I get into the, the conversation, I am on the board of this company, so I uh, want to throw that out there from the, from the drop. But uh, HT is this really um, unique organization in, the, in, in that our mission is to empower people and create employment for people with disabilities or barriers to employment. And it's a big company. This is not a small business. It is a $60 million company that does work for Department of State, uh, manufacturing, distribution, logistics, all sorts of different businesses are housed within this company. And, uh, and Tim's the CEO there. And um, so the reason I wanted to talk to him today was to talk a little bit about uh, not just what HT does uh, and, and the core mission, but it's a really well-run organization from a, from a culture perspective. Like people want to go to work. The team is awesome. People people care about about this business, and I think they've done a great job of empowering uh, staff and creating a, um, what I'm what I'm trying to call like holistic employment. Holistic employment, really, just uh, creating a, 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 an amazing culture, and I think we can learn a lot from that. So. Tim's also the uh, uh, one of the founders of a very uh, interesting organization in Rochester, New York, as well, and that is called Rochester Community Inclusive Rowing, and uh, it, it it is what it sounds like. So Tim's a big rower, and uh, at, at Rochester Community Inclusive Rowing, they they aim to create a supportive a supportive, inclusive, and fully accessible environment for veterans and people with any challenge who want to come to the water and learn to row at no cost to them. So this was really founded uh, out of a couple of different moments in Tim's life, and they've created this organization that has really had a giant impact on, on veterans and lots of different folks that use rowing as, as a way to kind of clear their head, get out on the water, and uh, and learn a new skill. So um, it's a pretty wide-ranging conversation, but... To set the stage a little bit, we're really focusing on uh, uh, some of Tim's story. Like, how did he, where did he come up, and how did he end up in a CEO role of, uh, of a not-for-profit like HT? And um, how, do you, how did you decide to, to, uh, that, that one of his callings was going to be to empower people with disabilities? It's, a, it's an amazing uh, story, and I think we all can, can really learn a lot from um, what HT is doing and, and, and how we can, as, as a community, as a, whether you're a business owner, how do we create opportunity for others and still make a profit? So I'm going to throw this over to Tim. This is my conversation with Tim Jeruso. Um, so, you know, I think kind of kind of just getting right into the, into the, the nitty-gritty of, of everything, you know, for folks that don't know what human technologies is, how would you describe this company? This is a super unique company. Yes, um, Human Technologies was formed in uh, 1954, some 65, 66 years ago, uh, by some enlightened members of the community of the Mohawk Valley for the purpose of creating employment for returning Korean War veterans who'd been in injured in service to their country. 
Uh, fast forward 60 plus years and we are now what we refer to as a self-sufficient social enterprise that excels in creating inclusive employment opportunities for all people with varying disabilities, including veterans. So in doing that, um, we run four very distinct, unique businesses, and we operate in the black. We're not uh, relying upon monies from the federal or state government. And uh, as we deliver those products and services each and every day uh, with our 320-plus employees, of which 60% are people with varying disabilities. But what I like to say, as you know, Ryan, is that what our organization, Human Technologies, does is we excel at finding the abilities within people and creating an environment where that can happen. So that's a little bit about Human Technologies. This is a big company, too. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah so we're, we're about 63 or $64 million now and uh, doing a lot of very important work that uh, we feel, you know, the work of our employees transforms the communities that they live in and the communities uh, across the globe. So, you know, uh, so f- full disclosure, and I'll, I'll, I, I mentioned, I'll mention this in the intro too, I am on the board of this company. So I, this is a, this is a, there's some loaded questions here, but, um, you know, I think this is a, just a super interesting organization for a, a ton of reasons. But number one being, why does, why does this, why does this model matter, do you think, to our local economy? I mean, give, you know, when I first got involved with this organization, there was really a lot of conversation around the dignity of work mm-hmm. and, um, and, and making people of all different backgrounds uh, a part of this community. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, for you... Well, you just stated well, why yeah, it well, yeah, well, I don't know what, you know, if, what your take is. I mean, because it is, it is a business, right? But it's, it's so much more than that to yeah. the folks that, that work here and the folks that are involved with the organization. Right. And, and you'll see this in, in great companies, big and small, where um, we refer to it as the dignity of work makes all things possible. You know, and work done well is one of our fundamental beliefs. Work done well makes all things possible. When someone in the family can help generate a paycheck that helps pay the rent or create the opportunity to go out uh, for an evening with family or contribute around the holidays for gifts or food, um, that's a fully engaged member of the family and the community. Um, you know, we're, we're helping to create taxpayers, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very important thing. Yeah. Um, the number of people in New York State alone uh, with disabilities that are unemployed is probably north of 70,000 from a recent study out of uh, the Rockefeller Center that you can pick up on online. And uh, in, a, in an economy where finding employees is difficult, uh, we find great employees from a pool or population of people that are incredibly underemployed. Mm-hmm. So we're um, we're helping to make a difference uh, in that way uh, through work. Yeah, and you know, I think when when we had met, uh, one of the things that was really striking, I think, when you kind of came on as, as CEO of this company, was you had some really, I think, big ideas around how do we how do we create new lines of business how do we in, uh, inject human technologies into into the value stream mm-hmm. right I mean that's right. that is something that <clears throat> as the kind of focus of these conversations is really around Rust Belt communities and, and revitalization mm-hmm. um, that's something that I don't think as many people consider as a, as a way to mm-hmm. bring back cities is how do we how do we ride this 
ride a wave instead of just siloing things. Yeah. Where did that come from? You've got a background in, in working with folks with disabilities, but where did that idea come from? Well, the idea of uh, participating fully in an economy and understanding the, the value chains um, of various marketplaces came from my experiences in working in for-profit uh, environments for 27 years. Uh, when I um, chose to take a voluntary separation in 2007 and kind of meander about the world looking at the world differently, um, I literally stumbled into the opportunity to work with people who are blind and visually impaired in Rochester, New York, very similar to CAVV mm -hmm. here in Utica. And actually I got to know a lot of the folks from the Utica area through CAVV. And um, it was really looking and seeing um, the ability of people to contribute and do work that, you know, I never saw people who were blind and visually impaired in, in my 27 mm -hmm. years working. Yeah. I really can't recall. And then I started seeing them doing, you know, the same kind of jobs that anybody who didn't have a visual mm -hmm. impairment or wasn't blind. And it kind of clicked in my head, well, if that's the case, why not? So to me, you know, the world is just a pool of possibilities. And so thinking about how to be an effective contributor in a value chain says to me, you look at, well, what are your fundamental core competencies? And then you start to think about, well, what is some adjacencies to what you're currently doing where those core competencies can, core competencies can be leveraged? And so um, if I come back to human technologies, you know, when I was being interviewed and touring and understanding and doing a little research about the lines of businesses, it became very apparent that they had a very diverse set of core competencies that could be leveraged um, into new spaces, uh, but also thinking about relationships with other, other businesses where you could build some collaboration and, um, and create possibilities in, in new business. So. What do you think, um, you know, you mentioned that unemployment is a, is a giant issue with, with folks with disabilities. And, and yet, HT runs this giant company, mm -hmm. basically, you know, th that, is, that is, is run by folks with, with disabilities. And what do you think are some of the misconceptions that, um, I would say, you know, just private sector business has about hiring folks with disabilities that, that, you, that, yeah. are, that are totally wrong? Or how, how can more businesses question, yeah. adapt to this? You yeah. know? I think it's a great question. And um, I'm going to take the focus off of, people with disabilities sure. and kind of genericize this a little bit more. Great. There's a really great book out. It's, um, it was written by a guy out of, I think, MIT, uh, Edgar Schein, and it's called uh, Humble Inquiry. And he talks about three different levels of humility. And I think for all of us to be more inclusive, um, I'm not going to go into all three. Mm -hmm. You can pick up the book. It's an easy read. It's very powerful. The third level of, of humility that he talks about is uh, humility in the here and now, which basically says, if I'm across from you and I'm the CEO and you're someone who, let's say, is out on the shop floor and they're, um, they're sewing chemical helmet covers for the Department of Defense, if there's a problem and that employee says something to me or my chief operating officer or our quality director and we can't hear it because we don't have enough humility to understand that that person has information that we need to be able to let in in order to serve the customer better. 
Um, it's kind of like, are you willing to let go of your ego when you have to? Um, and so whether that's sitting across from an employee who is on that sewing machine and has a disability or not, I could be over at Indium mm-hmm. in the same kind of situation. And how do you model that throughout your organization? You know, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's a challenge because we've been taught to have the answer, know the answer, highly educated, master's degrees, doctor's degree. And in the moment, there are days, almost every day, in the moment, where you're across from someone who has a life experience that you don't have access to. Right. And if you can't connect and, and value that, um, then you're really missing out on, on the power of relationships and, uh, and the power of what that information might do for your company and your customers. Where does that start, or where does, where does it start for you? Uh, well, being candid, it's, it's an ongoing battle, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think for me, um, growing up the youngest of six with um, a dad who was a carpenter, who, uh, a, a laborer who worked with his hands, um, you know, as, as a kid, I was always enthralled watching my father create things and, you know, redo the kitchen mm-hmm. and every miter joint being perfect and, uh, and seeing that skill and appreciating that skill. Fast forward, by the time I got to high school and transitioned to college, what I had learned um, was that I wanted to make more money than my father did. So I went into engineering. Mm-hmm. And so I go down that path. And as you march forward and you're being educated, you know, then you bump into uh, a secretary out in Brockport when you work for General Electric uh, Housewares in audio division. And, uh, and she gives you some feedback around how you're not respecting her information. Now, this is when I was like 21 or two. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, you can kind of get full of yourself. And you really don't want to, hmm. you know, because it's it's fundamentally, it's disrespectful. And uh, it doesn't take much to get caught up in the day, be moving too fast. I had another uh, graduate professor, you know, now I'm 38, who, you know, looks at me, and I'm thinking I'm having a real successful career, da 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 and uh, I'm expressing myself about something, and his response to me was, you need to slow down. And he walked away. That was it. Yeah. So basically what he told me was, everything you just babbled about wasn't worth a hoot. Hmm. You know, why don't you slow down and take in some other information? Or, you know, it was for mm-hmm. me to kind yeah, of explore. Sure. So it's, it's one of those things. It, it's, it's every day, you know. It's being aware that it's happening and being willing to kind of slow down and and see other people and hear other people so let's take that to the next i guess logical extension is you know how do you as ceo or any 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 leader in an organization how do you how do you bake that into a culture or how do you plant that seed into a culture um i think it uh it comes down to um you know how do you spend your time uh when you're out communicating, walking the shop floor, bumping into people. Um, are you, I like to say, are you establishing relationships at every opportunity? And so some of those relationships are personal, interpersonal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's going on for that person? Uh, if I go out on the shop floor today and I see Tommy, he's going to be like, you know, SU's on at seven, you know, <laughs> and he's just all yeah. over it. He went to the Georgia Tech game Saturday. So, uh, you know, whether it's Tommy or... Um, or anyone else, it's like, 
what's unique about them and what are you willing to share about your own uniquenesses so you're you're connecting in a relationship interpersonal level but then the other thing is um, how do you how do you create contextual relationships for the employee uh, or the employees or the employee base it's so how do you relate why being safe every day and helping your fellow employees be safe matters mm-hmm. well I'm always talking about um, the connection between our safety program and the adverse effect it has on having workers comp insurance which is a business significant, yeah. significant business expense yeah and so our success is tied to every behavior that transpires in the course of a day it doesn't take much for someone to get seriously injured mm-hmm. you know in a lot of different ways when you're in these lines of business so um, you know your question was how do you uh, how do you plant the seed plant the of seed that? And germinate yeah. well you have to be authentic and you have to be willing to talk about those things um, whether it's safety or whether it's a business opportunity or business reality, um, you have to be committed to uh, finding um, new ways of uh, supporting your employee base. You know, one of the things that we've accomplished here in the last three or four years is our health insurance costs uh, have not gone up to our employees in four years. Wow! And I, I mean, I love telling that story yeah. because it talks it doesn't about, happen anywhere well, exactly. Else. <laughs> and it's and so that's when when. When from my position with my team in the, in the positional leaders of this organization can share that, hey, we recognize that those costs shouldn't just get passed on to you. Mm-hmm. What are we doing to help offset or negate or avoid those kinds of increases? Um, and we haven't, you know, we haven't increased their, their deductible plans mm-hmm. or things like that. We've expanded um, what we're trying to bring to folks taking a wellness uh, approach, right, you know. Yeah. So those are all things that a lot of companies are doing. And you talk about how you plant the seeds. I think those are the ways you do it. And so that, that I guess, goes to, you know, this, I don't know if this is an actual term, but I know I've, I've, I've thrown this idea. I just, whenever I talk about HT, I just think about this. Um, it's, a, it's a holistic employer. I just mm-hmm. feel like there's this three, 360 degree of, of care and excellence mm-hmm. that you guys have for m- employees. And it yeah it goes to to wellness and those I guess those investments in in employees, the, are, are those decisions ever hard for you to make or how do you guys determine what is you know what's going to be a thing that will simultaneously support the 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 workforce but also it's it's good for frankly good for the bottom line. Um, or is that not or do you not weigh those things? I'm just trying to think about um, a trade-off that yeah. we've made in my tenure here where the employee would have been um, coming up on the short end of yeah. that decision, and I, I'm i struggling. That's, that's great. Uh, no, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and yeah. and I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Uh, maybe I need to think about that more. And well, I don't sure know about we can edit that out. <laughs> no, no, don't edit that out. I, <laughs> no, I think, I'm just again, back the, you know, to I think yeah. that's such a great question because I haven't thought about it that way, but... Maybe I can start inquiring in my conversations with people about, hey, you know, what do but you that's think? interesting. If you haven't thought about it, that also says something. Yeah, well, it can say one of two things: either you're in denial, okay, sure, <laughs> or yeah. it's a non-issue. Yeah. And and again, uh, you've asked a question that's made me stop and pause and wonder. Uh, I could have sat here and just said, oh no, no way, we would never yeah. do that. Yeah, I don't. No, and okay. again, if, unless I test with the perceptions of the folks, yeah, you know, um, when when you're, um, 
Oh man, I just I just had a, a follow up to that, which was we're talking about. Oh, I know what it was. You know, one of the things that that you do a lot, and and that I think uh, a lot of the the folks that I've gotten to know in the organization do, you guys default to stories, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's an incredibly effective way to talk about a business. And and you know, even just now, you just said, oh, Tommy's an SU fan, and and you know, um, one of the things that I've been struck here is how many people, you, you know, everybody. You know everybody's name. You know something about everybody, um, and I, I know that this is like it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But there's a conscious, um, there's there's mental bandwidth that goes with trying to keep everyone straight in an organization this size. How do you how do you get better at that skill? And I'm I'm asking selfishly because I'm yeah. terrible yeah. at it. Well, I, I, just to confess, I really don't know everyone's okay. name. Okay, I probably know everyone's face better than okay. I know their name. Um, but that doesn't stop me. I mean, I'll just. I'll let somebody know, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, your name again. Mm-hmm. But that um, that doesn't stop me from connecting or seeing them or acknowledging. You know, we have uh, several employees that really are non-communicative. Mm-hmm. And I'm still saying, hello, Tyrone, mm-hmm. good morning, you know. And I know Tyrone's there. Mm-hmm. You know, I could walk by him too. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't want to do that. Because yeah. if I do that, everybody will do that. Yeah. You know. Um, so what was your question? Again? Well, you know, in terms of... Do you have any, I guess, advice for? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be totally selfish for some, uh, someone like me that I really do struggle with remembering names and things about people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, um, is this a slow down conversation? Yeah, or, it's part know? of it. You know, um, some some people talk about tricks of trying to create, you know, a third thing to connect the name with the mm-hmm. face. You know, so an object or something. Yeah, some yeah. kind of object, and, and that can work. You know, and it does come down to. Um, What'll happen to me is I'll have so many thoughts going on in my head, and I'll see someone, and then I'll I'll, I'll like black out. Yeah, you know, it's like I know their name, but it just it's just gone. Yeah, you know? so those things happen. I mean, it happens to a lot of folks. It's easier for folks to remember my one name mm-hmm. than me to remember three hundred twenty yeah. yeah. or more. Um, you uh, am I right in remembering? Did you work for Kodak in some way? Yeah, I worked for three different Fortune five hundred companies. Uh, in my early earlier career, what were those? Um, the first one was Mobile Chemical okay. um, in the uh, packaging division. So we worked with uh, polymers and plastics and created garbage bags and foam plates and different kinds of things. Huh. Um, and then I worked for uh, GE in uh, what was called at the time Houseware and Audio Business. So we made like mixers and boom boxes. No boomboxes. Oh, it was I had a more GE kitchen, kitchen kind of uh, tools, you know, mixers and blenders and stuff like that. Um, and then I worked for Eastman Kodak for probably 20, 27 years. All, all, yeah. So those all for-profit business, all giant yep. companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I guess I guess where I guess where I'm going with this is in the way that you think about leadership and management, or um, the way an organization should run. You know. Then, then you 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 started working in um, a not for profit world as well. How is what has been the impact for you as a leader in um, managing and working with um, a whole? I, I don't want to le- limit it to people with disabilities, but I mean that's for me. This conversation is super effective because I think there's a lot of people that don't understand what an amazing environment it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that has to have a, a lasting impact on you when you made that transition from a, a Kodak to working in a not-for-profit with folks that have different needs and different abilities? Yeah, you know, um, 
early in my career, I, I moved around a lot mm-hmm. in, in 27 years at Eastman Kodak, and uh, I literally started in the distribution center, ended up moving back through all the various stages in manufacturing, ultimately landing in the research labs hmm. as a industrial engineer with a Bachelor of Science with some of the smartest PhDs that you could ever meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering what the heck I was doing there. And... Um, and then um, moved into new product development commercialization, and then ultimately as a worldwide product manager with product loss responsibilities. Um, so I had a phenomenal uh, set of experiences and exposures that I equate to seeing every aspect of, uh, of value chains, you know, mm-hmm. from marketing and sales responsibilities all the way back to research and then all yeah. the way back through to distribution. So um, I forget where I was going with this. Uh, Well, it was, was, you know, you've worked there. there, How does your your thinking about leadership in an organization change? Okay, Okay. now I know where I was going with this. So in the course of that time, early in my career, I would get a lot of feedback around, hey, Tim, we really loved working with you. Uh, Here's a send-off lunch. You've been here four years, five years, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't know how we're going to do this stuff without you, blah, 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 blah. And, And I started to see this pattern and realize that a lot of that came from the education I got from my father around the dinner table at night at 5.30, mm-hmm. where I would listen to him tell stories about who he'd worked with that day, Goody Goodell and Scotty and, <laughs> and Bob Devers. And I still remember these mm-hmm. names to this day. Uh, and he would talk about who he worked with, what they'd accomplished, how much more was left on the job, what it was going to be like when they were done. And years later, in my 30s and 40s, when I started to really study components of leadership, I realized what a leader my father was and my mother in terms of the messaging that I was getting. Mm-hmm. Everything they were doing was written down in books about yeah. leadership. Did they know? Did they know? No, okay, yeah. no. And again, it comes back to the humility of, of do we really see and, and understand what the people around us are sharing with us mm-hmm. and providing to us, or do we discount it, or do we are we just oblivious? Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to recognize the power of, of relationships uh, and storytelling um, in taking that into the workplace. And so that's, um, that's something that I started doing kind of naturally. Mm-hmm. But it was apparently a void for a lot of people because there was just work focused on tasks. I think it still is. I think yeah. for a lot of people it still is. And so, you know, if you think about work focused on tasks, well, I like to go back to Newton, you know, work equals force times distance. You know, so if the task is moving something a distance, you need some energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you need something to be applied to it. And I think that's one of the things that I've always tried to uh, bring to the workplace is what's the energy? And you get energy from people. Mm-hmm. And so how are you putting energy into people? How are they providing energy to you? Um, as you focus on tasks and, and what you want to accomplish, whether it's delivering a clean floor tonight mm-hmm. to the to the courthouse in Utica, or if it's uh, in a negotiation around uh, an equity investment in a in a startup company. So how do you how do you always think about energy? You know, because like what I like to say is you know every night we shut the building down, nothing happened. <laughs> Yeah. There's nobody here. Yeah. There's nothing happening. All the energy comes from the people. The task will be there tomorrow. Yeah. You got to hope the people come back. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. You know? sure. So you want them to. Yeah. How, how do you? Um, 
maybe not in your role here, but I guess in, in general, do you have, is there, is there a, 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 a thing that, that makes you, that gets you out of bed in the morning that what's the, what's the, what is, what's your core motivator? Um, I, I think I've told you this before. I, I grew up with a brother, Patrick, um, who passed away in 2009 to 2010 to diabetes. Mm-hmm. And Pat, um, I think if Pat were um, being evaluated today, they probably would have put him somewhere on an autism spectrum of some sort. He had some savant skills that were like a steel trap memory, mm-hmm. you know, visualization, dead reckoning. Um, he didn't need GPS when he drove his car places. But as, a, as kids, um, I was always like his interpreter. And I was the one who, you know, helped Pat be included in the, in the baseball game or mm-hmm. the kickball game or uh, anything that we were doing. If we were riding bikes, you know, we were side by side. We mm-hmm. were like, you know, attached to the hip. And um, fast forward, you know, I go through my high school education, college education, start to move away, become more independent, mm-hmm. kind of move away from some of your siblings. And, uh, and then coming to realize that when I started in the social enterprise world and working um, in businesses with people with various disabilities, I started realizing that I had some affinity there. Mm-hmm. You know, that it made sense to me because my brother Pat would always go out and have to find his next job on his own. And undoubtedly, he would end up in bad situations where people couldn't understand him. They would tease him. They would bully him. He wouldn't put up with it. And there'd be an explosion of, uh, of an upset of some sort, and he'd lose his job. And mm-hmm. they probably thought they were firing him, but he was quitting, you know. Yeah. And he was moving on to the next job. So I started to see these uh, businesses like HT as, as the place that could create a healthy environment for people to be included and contribute and have the dignity of work. So to me, that's, you asked the question, what gets me up, what gets me going? It's knowing that every day I'm doing something that's helping someone else have a possibility or make a difference that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to. Um, To be able to be part of uh, that is pretty awesome. Do you have any, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a million of them, and I know there's a whole program here that we that we have of, of, of storytellers. But is there is there one? I mean, is there something that comes to mind? I'm like, tell me a story about someone here that's had their life transformed by by their role here. Um, well, the, there's several. You know, yeah. uh, you mentioned we have a thing called inspirational storytellers, and you know, we're sitting in our community room right now, and I'm just looking at the wall, and there's some of the inspirational storytellers mm-hmm. as I look over your shoulder. And, uh, you know, I won't use names, but I'll just, I'll talk about, um, you know, multiple situations where individuals will come to HT in just my short tenure here, where, you know, their willingness to uh, make eye contact, communicate, Mm -hmm. share something about what they're doing. Um, When I started here, they weren't doing that. Now they have best friends. Two, two employees that jumped to my mind just made a trip down to Washington, D.C. together with some family members mm-hmm. and our VP of HR, and they were on Capitol Hill advocating to, um, you know, their elected officials mm-hmm. around why, um, why work is so important for people with disabilities. And uh, then you hear about uh, the folks over in the distri- distribution center, like, you know, um, now independently living with one of their brothers, They've purchased a car. Mm-hmm. They're going out with their workmates to listen to the local bands. You know, it's transformational. Social, yeah, yeah, it's it's well, it's transformational, and it's what everybody wants. Yeah, yeah you know? sure. They're 
really is no difference in what we want. It's um, are the right environments created for for that to be possible. You know? Yeah. And it, and that can happen. It doesn't have to be in a not for profit. That can sure. happen anywhere. Yeah. You know. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think you know, you guys have done a really good job of 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 positioning. HT is just it's just the it's just the best organization for the job, and we just so happen mm-hmm. to to work with folks with disabilities, right? right? I mean that that's I think have been one of the core, um, one of the core messaging. It's like yeah, it's we're we're still gonna we're gonna beat everyone else in terms of quality. Yeah, and, we, well we want to perform. And, yeah, sure. You know we have our days and and we have um, uh, breakdowns. Yeah, uh, sure. But we don't fall apart, which is true for any any company. So. Um, you know, I'm not saying that uh, everything we do is perfect, and we'll strive towards perfection. Uh, we're going to listen to what the customers need. Uh, sometimes we we lose business, uh, mm-hmm. and that happens it's just like any other business. Yeah, sure. You, know, you don't want to lose a customer. Sometimes there are customers we want to lose because they don't treat our employees well. Yeah. And we've walked away from several here, you know, uh, in my time, and I'm fully supportive. Like when my chief operation officer, Greg Frank, when he he makes that call. I'm like, you got it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're telling me that's going on, and that's how the customers treating our employees. Yeah, get rid of them. There's there are better places to work. You know, I like to say there are cheaper ways to piss people off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know uh, before change change directions. You know, one of the other things that I've just observed in my my time here too is is um, uh, y- you seem to have a, a, a very high degree of trust in your leadership team. Mm-hmm. And um, in other organizations that I've been a part of or talked with, that is, that is not the case. Right. Where do, how, do you, how, do you, where, how do you get to that point, mm-hmm. and how do you recruit the people that, that you know you can trust? Well, there's two things there. One is um, there's, there's a phenomenon where... If I don't trust you, uh, you're not going to trust me. And so who's, who's willing to trust first and how far? And the way the trust escalates is that what am I willing to disclose to you mm-hmm. and trust you with about me and our business? So I like to like use an example of the, as much as I love the people I work with, I'm not giving any of them my checkbook. You know, they're not right, getting the right. password to my bank account right. online. I don't trust anybody yeah. like that. Yet, when I come back to, hey, what are we here? What's our mission about? Um, you know, you want to look at this line of business a little differently. Uh, okay, tell me more about Okay, I trust you to m- make a good decision. You know, and I'm going to tell you, if, is there something you need from me mm-hmm. so you can feel more supported or you can feel better? Do you need more resources? You know, so those are the things I'm going to try to do to um, let you know that I'll have your back and I'll get you whatever... I can to, mm-hmm. to help make a good decision. So, um, so that's uh, one example around how you build trust. Now, people violate your trust, yeah. right? And then you have to deal with that. And it's a question of, I've always said, you know, we have a level of trust, you and mm-hmm. I. Um, if, so, if you do something that, um, that violates that, I have to make an assessment of, well, how badly did you violate it? You know, is it yeah. unlawful? Okay, that's that's going to be a big eraser. Is it unethical? Okay, we're going to talk about that differently. Is it immoral? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, so uh, there's some assessment around when something violates the, the trust. But I, I've never had the 
desire to just, you know, oh, you, you told me a, a mistruth and it caused mm-hmm. a problem, so I can't trust you anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I've always, like, had the willingness to, to come back, at least for a second time, yeah. to see if it can enhance the relationship. Now, you talked about recruiting here. Yeah. Uh, I, I've only recruited one person in my team. It's the CFO, Carl, mm-hmm. you know Carl. Yeah. And uh, I, I really have been blessed with um, stepping into a situation where there are people who wanted to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? sure. That's, you know, and, um, and they kind of tested me, like, okay, are you going to stay in your lane? Are you going to mm-hmm. let us do our work? And, you know, my background in org theory and behavior um, served me well in terms of when I got here, you know, one of the things, and you've heard me say this, is the worst thing you can do, and I, I said this in the interview when, mm-hmm. when you guys were interviewing me, the worst thing you can do is try and change a system you don't understand. Right. The worst thing That's you important. Can do, you That's know? an important And so, again, back to yeah. the slowdown, what am I really learning about the system and how and where should I interject and, and intervene to make it better? Um, for me, early on, it was like, I got to get these people to trust me. It wasn't a question of me trusting them. They've been here. Yeah. They've been running the place, you mm-hmm. know. So that was important. Um, the other thing that just happened recently, one of our other board members, Dave Casulo, put me onto a book called uh, something about the builder mentality. You know? I've heard of this. I haven't yeah, read right. it. But yeah. uh, and uh, the guy that runs Gallup put it mm-hmm. together, Jim. Somebody, oh, yeah, yeah. Jim somebody. Real, yeah. real wealthy guy. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but I'm reading the book, and, and uh, it talks about these uh, – Alpha alpha builders. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them is the uh, the rainmaker. One of them's the conductor, and one of them's the uh, expert. Um, and I told I told Dave that you know I did the assessment online. I'm sitting in my office, and the context was I came back conductor, and he's like that really surprises me. I go, oh, it doesn't surprise me at all. I go, Greg Frank is the rainmaker. I see him. He is the he is the he's the rainmaker. Yeah, you know he's yeah. he's done some absolutely incredibly powerful things on behalf of this organization. Um, Linda and Carl, you know, my VP of HR, mm-hmm. Linda Forth, and uh, our CFO, Carl Reinstrom, um, they're the experts. I'm the conductor, mm-hmm. you know. And Dave's like, oh, yeah, I never would have guessed that. I go, yeah. I said, but change the context, and I can be a rainmaker. Yeah, in you know, a different like organization. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I do with, uh, with uh, my not-for-profit. That That's what I wanted to get right, to next, exactly. yeah. So, uh, you know, when I'm working with Rochester Community Inclusive Rowing and I'm providing free access to uh, veterans with disabilities, uh, people with various disabilities, and, and taking them out and teaching them how to row, uh, and I'm doing that with a volunteer base, in that case, I'm a conductor, I'm a rainmaker, and I'm yeah. an expert. Um, so, so what I got Dave thinking about last night, we were talking about this, is I said, yeah, his work's really great. And as I'm reading through it, it doesn't, it doesn't talk about context, you know, that we really can morph uh, mm-hmm. based on what does the environment have, what does the environment need. They don't need me to be a rainmaker here, you know, or an expert. They need me to conduct. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that's, that's kind of cool, you know. Let's talk about the, uh, the nonprofit. You're a rower. That was one of the, it was uh-huh. very, uh, very, it was one of the things that I, I remember lit up when we first met you was talking about rowing and okay. in particular this project. Can you go into detail about how you, how you got into this? Yeah. Um, it started when I was working with the Agency for the Blind and we were raising money for United Way and they had silent auctions and live auctions. Mm-hmm. So I said, if anybody wants to bid more than $50 starting price in the auction, if you win the auction, I'll take you out sculling, which is basically two people in a boat 
going backwards, you know. Mm-hmm. I said, if you win the bid, then I'll take you sculling on the Erie Canal, like two times. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, so well received that we sold like, you know, five or six uh, <laughs> sessions. And so I went over with my friends. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, we had people feeling the boat to really understand what they were yeah. about to do and get it. And when I came back, uh, the reaction was always the same. They were elated. There was literally joy on their faces. The the experience of being out in the sun, on the water, uh, hearing the birds and fish jumping, all that was like a moment and experience that they never would have had. Yeah. And so a friend of mine and I, we said, you know, we should we should do more of this. This is pretty cool. And so we started down that path. We created a 501c3 in 2011. And fast forward, we started working with veterans with PTSD and traumatic brain injury, loss of limb due to IED explosions. And the pilot was really well received. So we started working with more veterans. And then we started getting feedback um, from veterans. I think I've told you it was like a couple of things. Or uh, one veteran, he looked over his shoulder and he said, you know, every time I do this, I get a piece of myself back that I lost the first time I pulled the trigger. You know, That's powerful. It still, it still yeah. chokes me up every time I say it because you think you're doing something nice for someone. Back mm-hmm. to perspective, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, to be able to hear that, to someone to share that, yeah. it's pretty cool. You know, um, I had another veteran uh, who was um, violently abused in the military who said, you know, the metaphor of going backwards in the boat for me was I had to go back far enough to remember why it was worth being here. And I was like, okay. What's going on? Yeah. Here? So we started really exploring what is it about being on, in, or near the water that seems to have this connection to health, happiness, and healing. And there's actually a book out now called The Blue Mind. It was written probably four or five years ago of researching what goes on in our brains when we're on, in, or near the water, whether hmm. it's fly fishing or trout fishing or ice fishing or uh, uh, paddle boarding mm-hmm. or surfing, uh, just boating. Well, it doesn't matter. They, they've documented that it has a calming effect on our systems. And if you think about it for yourself, I mean, yeah. you love being near the beach, oh, yeah. you go out to the lake yeah. and stick your feet in the pool, it doesn't take much. You, know, yeah. you see a picture of, of, uh, of waves, mm-hmm. you know, you watch a little video of those guys tubing through the water. Yeah, you know, out there's the something night. baked in. There's something yeah. in there that affects the chemistry in our brain. So, so over the course of the years, the, my curiosity of why are people reacting, you know, I know why I was doing it. It was a chance for me to get away mm-hmm. and, and 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 quiet my life. You know? Yeah. And, and but I didn't understand it. I just liked it. And so by other people expressing themselves, it made me and my friends uh, curious as to what it is. So we've really started to understand it. When we started to understand it, we said we need to do more of this. So back to scaling. You yeah. know, if you think about your business competencies, how are we going to scale this? How are we going to make this more available to more people? Uh, fast forward to 2019, we put a shovel in the ground in uh, August. Uh, we completed building a half, uh, a 500,000, excuse me, a 5,000 square foot dedicated, ADA accessible bathroom, showers, boathouse. Wow. That's dedicated to adaptive and inclusive rowing for people with disabilities, especially our veterans. And uh, I just got an email this morning from two women in Des Moines, Iowa that are replicating our pattern and that's awesome like, this is too cool yeah you know? so all of this from uh, it's a long story but going back to yeah i'll take you out rolling on the river if you donate to united yeah and to now 
It's like, are we on the verge of a movement here? Right. Um, and I tell people that, you know, actually I put an article up on LinkedIn. I don't know if you saw it. It was called, who ever heard of an organization where no one pays and no one gets paid? And why would you create one? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it talks about yeah. this, this journey that myself and, the, and our volunteers have been on. And the people that have been with me for the last five or six years doing this, it's just an act of love. Yeah. Um, they'll tell you, they, they, they feel guilty because they feel like they're getting mm-hmm. as much, if not more, than the people that we're serving. I'm like, that's okay. You know, if you're getting something out of it, that's good. It's synergistic. It's good. Why shouldn't you get something out of it if you're contributing like you are? So, let me ask you just to, to put a bow on this mm-hmm. on this conversation. That, you know, that's that's a, that's a very it's an impactful um, organization that ha, you know just that was by happenstance, basically, right? I mean, in, essentially, you were just like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. When you, as you're going through life personally and professionally, how do you know when to pay attention to that spidey sense or that happenstance? Oh, man, that's such a good question. Um, Because there's risk involved with all of these things, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's reward, too. Sure, sure, sure (laughs) there is. That's how it works, right? Yeah. But this might not work. Like, that, that may have not worked. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, quite honestly, a number of people early on when we started envisioning this, they were like, what are you doing that for? Yeah. Why don't you just do it over here or do it with those people? And we're like, ah, you, you, don't, you don't really get it. Um, why would you want to dedicate a space? Well, because the other ones have a different model. They have a different mission. They have. So, again, back to my understanding of org theory, um, I knew that we had to have our own space. But what we did that was different was when you walk through the doors of this building, there are no members. It's not a club. So we very clearly have differentiated Rochester mm-hmm. Community Inclusive Rowing to say, if you're a member of the community, whether you row or not, you can you're come welcome. through these doors. You're welcome here. And again, we have some some behavioral guidelines mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and and so we're not a club. Our mission is to enable people to have a positive experience on the water and uh, support them whatever they need to do it. Um, so, so you asked the question though about how did you know when it was right to do, or how do you? I mean, and not even that. that. I mean, there's there's other things that have happened in your life that have have changed direction or created opportunity, or had an outsized impact. And that starts with a a tingle. That starts yeah, with a right. yeah. how do you how do you evaluate or how do you know when to notice that this might this might there may be a there there. Yeah, um, it's funny you'd say that because. Uh, Randy Bay Wagner's asked me to put together a thing on the power of possibilities and how do you build that into a personal and or organizational trait. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starting to, again, slow down, think yeah. that through to say, can I put something on paper? Um, I used to uh, I used to say this um, periodically that for some strange reason I would I would tend to be able to see a pattern from a single data point which is really not yeah, how a pattern sure. um, So, So I relate that back to learning how to play chess and Chinese checkers when I was like literally two, three, four years old and then beating my 15 or 16-year-old brother or my mother and father, mm-hmm. you know. And the idea of, um, of 
in any of those board games, you make a move, and you're and you're you're trying to plan out five, six, seven mm-hmm. moves ahead. If you're familiar with chess or Chinese checkers or any game like that, poorly, but yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And the dilemma is, you know, you have your pattern in your in your mind. You've created a pattern in your mind. You've made one move, and there's your pattern. You're doing it in the environment of of what the other person's already done. And the bad news is, then they make a move. Mm-hmm. And they could screw up your whole six steps, or your, mm-hmm. your next six moves. And so what you learn is, okay, now I have to redo that. What's the pattern I can create now from that one move? And, and so I think um, with rowing, in this case, it was like, oh, here's what I notice. There's nobody with a disability out on the water. You know, There are not a lot of people of color out there either. I could see that around me in other places. Boy, there's uh, there's some really nice buildings around here storing boats that are close to the water. I'll bet we could do that, you know? So it's kind of like, okay, w- what information's in the environment mm-hmm. that supports the pattern that you can maybe create for yourself or others? And so what's the next move you make? You know, what's the next move you make? Um, how does that support it? Um, I think that's a great place to... To to end wrap it. up, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Where can people um, find you online and learn more about all these projects in HT? Um, so uh, first, HT obviously, um, just go to htcorp.net. That's our web, our web page. It's pretty pretty great website. Uh, we're on Facebook with HT. Um, we did not talk about Utica Bagels, which I'm. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do, let's do it. Okay. Uh, so our Utica Bagel business is something that you can find. Uh, on Facebook as well. Right now, we're selling them out of twenty two sixty Dwyer Avenue. Best bagels in the Mohawk. Well, Valley. let's 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 just take a second and do. If you have like three more minutes, yeah, yeah. let's come back to that. Okay, so great. Back to, and then yeah, you get yeah. So, in terms of me, I'm on LinkedIn. You can feel free to reach me there. I'm on Facebook. Um, Rochester Community Inclusive Rowing is on Facebook, and the website is Rochester Community Inclusive Rowing dot org. It's a um, long ass domain. Long, yeah. So if you. <laughs> If you just type in Rochester Community Inclusive Rowing, it'll show up. .org, it'll show up. Google, the Google machine is the <laughs> best. Man. Can't live without it. Cool. So back, Utica Bagels. Yeah, let's talk. So let's, Utica Bagels, that's a, a, another social enterprise that spun out of, of, yeah. is spun out of yeah. HT. Where did that come from? What is it? Well, uh, back to earlier, I mentioned core competencies. You know, we, we have a kitchen here. Uh, our staff pre- prepares great breakfasts and lunch every day. Uh, obviously, in the kitchen, there are tools. Um, I had, I had talked with uh, some of my staff about some possible business business ventures of, of selling things through the web, and you know we have the ability to create web portals just like Amazon mm-hmm. that you can shop through. Uh, one day, my chief operating officer came to me and asked me about, hey, have you had any bagels? And you, I go, eh, not, nah. no, I bring my bagels from elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, yeah. He goes, I think we can make bagels. So he and my assistant, Leanne Allen, um, went on like a two or three year exploration where they would take time out and go in the kitchen and figure out how to make bagels. And they figured it out, but they, they have their own methodology and they're different. You know, um, I won't name any other bagel businesses in the area, <laughs> um, but if you've had those bagels, fine. Um, ours have a little bit of a, of a uniqueness to them. They're mm-hmm. handcrafted, they're not machine made. Yeah. Um, our, our flagship bagel is the Utica Greens bagel, where every bagel has a real quarter cup of Utica Greens in it. And I'm telling you, if you 
toast that, butter it, and throw a slab of sausage and egg in there. You're yeah, no, it's amazing. For. Uh, and then the other ones are like rosemary and sea salt, mm-hmm. which I can't stop eating, which I should stop eating because my A1C numbers. Um, you know, the cinnamon raisin, I call mm-hmm. it sin raisin because it's just amazing. Um, all different kinds. Your basics, you yeah, know, yeah. your plain and your sesame and your poppy. We got those two. But it was started as a way to think about um, creating more of a presence in the Mohawk Valley about human technologies. You know, here's this cool big business that's doing something on a smaller scale, but um, all with the purpose of thinking, could we scale this to the point where we're creating employment for people with disabilities? Mm-hmm. Always comes back to that at yeah. HT. You know, that's what we're thinking about. Uh, so we've had a lot of fun with it. And to be honest with you, go back to what I said earlier about energy, you know, you can be a chief operating officer or an assistant to the president, and, and that can be energy draining. There's a yeah. tremendous amount of responsibility. Uh, for them to be able to go and interact with different people and do some different things, it kind of re-energizes them. Um, so, so it's not like it's going to make or break our organization. And now it's, a, it's an important part. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, so it's, the importance isn't always tied to money and bottom line. There's an element where it's like, what else is this doing for us? Yeah. You know? And it helps create more identity, more awareness outside of here. Um, but I, I remember when they were developing yeah. developing the Greens Bale. First of all, it, it is it's amazing. Yeah. And uh, but that also, I guess, this comes full circle to the culture conversation where you know Greg and Leanne felt empowered like we're gonna go work on bagels you know (laughs) and instead of going why the hell are you working on bagels we're doing you know this that says something about the culture where they feel empowered to do that and you guys are like maybe there's a there there let's Mm -hmm. let's make some bagels absolutely yeah that's what it's about that's cool again that goes back to you know being a conductor yeah they didn't need me to be an expert in bagels i do uh, volunteer when i'm taste testing (laughs) anytime they have a new (laughs) yeah new flavor (laughs) new flavor that is awesome well, I appreciate the time today, Tim. Thanks this for making fun. it. And, uh, and uh, So I want to thank you for all you do uh, across our uh, community. Um, uh, you are a connector uh, and a creator of possibilities for many. So it's great uh, having you as a board member, but also just as a member of the community. And all that thanks, you man. Do. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. I want to thank Tim for his time. He's a busy dude and uh, glad he could take the time to, to chat with me. So thank you all for listening. I'm going to be having a couple more episodes coming out soon. This is Rust Belt Startup. If you're digging it, I would love it if you subscribe on the uh, podcast provider of your choice or leave me a rating, leave me a review. And uh, if there's something you want me to dig into, a person I should meet, uh, I'm all ears. So thanks a lot for being here. We'll see you guys in a few weeks.